Mark chapter number two, Mark chapter number two. I have had the thought of uh, the opportunity we have this week to be at the fair and to share the gospel uh, message. And what an opportunity we have. And I think we ought to take advantage of every opportunity we can to share the gospel. You know, as I was thinking about the fair, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, just what Christ can do. You know, this morning we had many guests and different people in our church, and if you were to go around to each person, you would find that every person comes from a different background. Every single person has a different upbringing. Every person came this morning. You might have thought that if you are here this morning, you might have thought that you were the only one with a problem, with a burden that you're carrying. And a matter of fact, there was probably just about everybody had a problem or burden they're carrying. And everyone comes with a burden. Everyone's coming with a prayer request. Everyone probably came with a praise, something they're thanking the Lord for. But what unites, what unites the church, what gives the church great joy is when they're united on a common cause, a common purpose. That purpose ought to be, and I believe this church is, it ought to be reaching this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's sharing the gospel with the lost. That's what the church exists for. We don't exist for big days or, 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 or you know, rallies or, or um, any other reason or purpose other than sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what unites someone with a different background. That's what unites somebody with a different burden. That's why the Millers can, for the last week, be at their, at their, at, in North Carolina and carrying a heavy burden. And then come back and find fellowship in our church. That's why others who, the fillers can have a baby. And then, boy, I don't know, I think they were the last ones to leave this morning. Just laughing and fellowshipping with other believers. And what unites us is our common cause to reach this world for Christ. That's why we can disagree on things. But what unites us is our common cause. Because we believe this, that this world needs Jesus Christ. This world needs the gospel. Every single human being. I was watching a video this afternoon and uh, nations around this world, they're just doing some research and studying each week of our sermon series on Sundays. And there's a lot of research and studying just to try to stay current on the things that are happening around this world. And one of the world problems, one of the issues around this world is in 10 nations, in 10 nations, the 10 top nations that they, and they were all at this G20 summit, the, the sex trafficking, the, the uh, selling of children and women kidnapping and then selling them for, for uh, trade. Uh, it's an epidemic. And drugs. The other epidemic is just the drug use. I don't know if you've seen these, these videos now that you can watch. I guess it's a a big thing to video while somebody is overdosing on heroin. And the friends that are standing around are videoing it while this person is lifeless. The need is great in this world. 
And the answer is Jesus Christ. He's the answer. And we gather here every Sunday and every Wednesday and different times and events throughout the week. And our purpose is to leave here stronger, united, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to go to Mark chapter number 2, and it's, I'm sure, a familiar passage of Scripture for most people that would be here this evening. Jesus is in Capernaum. The Bible says in verse number 1, and again he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about, about the door, as he preached the word unto them. By the, by the second chapter here of Mark, Jesus is well into his ministry. He's well known. He's not someone new that's on the scene necessarily. He's well known, so much so that when he comes back to Capernaum, the place that he is often at in his ministry, he comes back to this place, and, and it doesn't take long. And remember, they don't have uh, news media. They don't have social media. They didn't have the Internet how they got it was word of mouth, and word of mouth spread so quickly that Jesus Christ was back. And, and, and word of mouth began to go to where he was, and the Bible says that they came to where he was insomuch that they couldn't even get into the front door. That's how many people came to see Jesus. He's traveling through this region of Capernaum. He's sealing the sick. He's delivering the message of repentance and salvation. And he's calling people to follow him. He's making disciples. And the purpose of making a disciple and following him is so that they would hear the message, receive the message, and then they, what they would do in turn is give the message so others would hear the gospel. Aren't you glad that someone that took, received the gospel of Jesus Christ was bold enough to one day share it with you? And you then, in turn, trusted Christ as your Savior? Could you imagine if the first-generation Christians here failed to share? They received the gospel, they had the gospel, they accepted the gospel, but they were determined not to share it? Aren't you glad for these last 2,000-some years that there has been generation after generation of Christians that have saw that it is their responsibility and they took it upon themselves to, be, to take that gospel message to a world that needed Jesus Christ? Nobody is saved in this room because your parents are saved. None of you are saved in this room because, because someone in your family was saved. You are saved. The only way for a person to be saved is for them to accept Christ as their Savior. It's a decision that each individual person must make. In order for you to make that decision, you had to hear the gospel preached. We find in this passage, highlighted in this chapter, are, are, uh, uh, the call to follow Jesus. And we're going to look at this response that we had here this evening. Capernaum is located along the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus often came here to this place. It was a fishing village of about 1,500 or so people. They think of that time, they're of Jesus. And so we know that there was a, a, a crowd there surrounding this house, and, and who knows, it could have been the greater amount of the people here from this village when they found out Jesus was there. It was a home to Peter. It was a home to Andrew. It was a home to John. It was a home to Matthew, the tax collector. And so Jesus went to this place and Many disciples that we read of in the New Testament were here from this place. 
And so Jesus in his visits, Jesus in this place of Capernaum, there has been many that have trusted Christ and their lives have been transformed and changed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes to this place. He's done miracles here. In the opening of Mark chapter number two, Christ, he has been preaching in this region. He's now returning back. This is not Christ's his first visit here to Capernaum. He's been here before. We know that because in the opening uh, verse here, the Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum. Again, he is back at this place. He had been there before. The Bible says that he was in the house. We know we're not sure based on this text what house he was in other than the fact that he was in a house. It might have been of one of these disciples that have followed him. We do know this according to Luke chapter number nine in verse number 58, and Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. So we do know this, this house did not belong to Jesus. Because Jesus didn't have a place where he called his home. There was no place for him to lay his head. There was no place that he called home. But he's in a house, and it's believed that it's probably one of the disciples that had followed him, that he had, had heard the gospel. But nonetheless, he's here in a house. And while he's here in this house, a great crowd assembles. They fill the entire home and they fill the entire doorway. They fill the most important thing that was happening at this time in Capernaum was happening at the house that Jesus was. Could you imagine the noise that was abroad? Jesus is back in town. I would say this to you, the, the place where Jesus is preached is the most important place that's happening there in that town. This morning, I believe this, the most important place that you could be is in a house of God where the gospel message was being preached. The gospel message is what changes lives. The gospel message is what gives hope. The gospel message is what gives per, uh, peace to a person's life. The gospel message is what delivers a person from the bondage of sin. It's the gospel message. It is the answer. And the most important place that you can be is in a place where the word of God is being preached. Parents, I would say this to you, the most important place that you can have your children is in a place where the word of God is being preached. I'm concerned. I'm concerned that there's so many activities, there's so many things that are surrounding our lives and our culture today, and many of Christians are falling into these things, and they're allowing their children to see that the church isn't the important place to be, the preaching of the gospel isn't the important place to be, and what you're going to allow, what you're going to allow in moderation, your children are going to begin to live that when they become adults in excess. Be careful of that. The most important place you can be is where the word of God is being preached. There's a great crowd here assembled. They're filling the home and they're filling the doorway. They're getting to a place where no one can get into the house. In the midst of this mass of people, we find in this portion of scripture that there's some that are trying to bring one of their friends to see Jesus. Now, I know, don't just turn this off because you've heard this message before don't, uh, or this passage of Scripture before. Because I believe this, this passage of Scripture is something that every time we visit, there's something new, something fresh that we can get from the Word of God. As they stood there wondering how they could get their friend to, G to Jesus, one of them came up with this idea. Let's just tear the roof off. That's the answer. Now, in those days, 
The roof would consist of beams that were running across the length of the house and then smaller beams that were running across. And then it would be a thick sod that they would put on top of that house to try to keep the water from uh, penetrating as it would rain. They didn't have shingles like we have. They used whatever they could get. It would be sticks and sod and, and dirt and anything they could get up there that they could pack it nice and tight. It wouldn't just be, I watched these men do the shingles here uh, on, our, on our property, and I wonder how in the world does water stay out of our buildings? It's only about this thick. There's only a shingle, some, some paper, and some plywood. And then you're inside. You could get in that pretty quickly. You get a saw, get in there pretty quick, couldn't you, Brother Gagne? But if you got on top of this roof and you found that this roof was thick, most of us, if we had to get in, we'd give up. I'm not, pre- I'm not prepared. I'm not ready to get into something that thick. You know what we'll do? We'll just wait till Jesus comes back by another day. But not these friends. These friends saw the need to get up on this roof. Someone had this crazy idea to climb on the roof, to tear it open, and to lower this crippled guy down in front of Jesus. That's crazy. Let me ask you this question. How crazy are you willing to get to bring someone to Jesus? We had next-door neighbors that just moved in next door to us. And uh, we just got to know the fellow that uh, over last year that was living there. And I guess five kids moving next to him. He lived there for 25 years. He moved. And uh, uh, house went up for sale and he sold the house. And uh, last Thursday, I talked to him. I said, when are you leaving? He said, I'm leaving. To, uh, or last Tuesday, so I'm leaving Thursday. And, and sat, Saturday, the, the truck comes and I'm moving out. And I said, man, I'm going to start to see you go. He said, well, don't worry. Four kids are moving in right next to you. I guess that was his punishment for five kids moving in next to him and a puppy. My kids were out this afternoon. And the family just moved in yesterday and they were just there. Uh, and they met the, the family. And they came in the house, and I said to him, first thing I said, I said, where do they go to church? I don't know. Did you invite them to church? Not yet. And one of them said, I was looking for tracks, and I was going to go give them a track. And they were talking about coming tonight and getting a welcome packet and putting a packet together. And, and uh, uh, don't tell my wife, I think she's teaching here this evening, and hopefully the, the sound isn't on. But I said to them, I said, maybe mom could bake a pie. And we'll put all the tracks and all the stuff you get from church tonight and we'll bring that pie and that track over. And one of the little ones by name of Lily said, oh no, mom doesn't do good with pies. And mom heard her say that. And I said, well, maybe we'll go to McQueen's. They do pretty good with pies. But I was excited because they were trying to figure out next time we see them, we're gonna give them a gospel track and see if they know Jesus Christ. What are you willing to do to bring someone to Jesus? Who are you inviting to know the Lord? Who are you taking the gospel message and in, 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 whether it be someone at the gas station or somebody that waited on you at dinner this afternoon or someone, a neighbor or a coworker, what are you doing? What, what out of the box thing are you doing? to share the gospel message, to change someone's life. 
You know, Christian, I get to the place in my life where we talk about all the things that are wrong in this world and we know what the answer is, but if we're not careful, we're not doing anything to solve the problem. I believe in a church like this, the thing we ought to do every single Monday morning is fill the track rack up. Why should we fill the track rack up? Because everyone that leaves here takes a pile of tracks and goes and preaches the gospel and gives the gospel message and, and hands somebody a track. I got a phone call the, uh, not long after I got here and um, a lady called upset. She said, I'm from this area and we just, the, they just did some road work and, 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 and one of the, your people from your church came down our road and drove on our freshly new dirt and sod and, and, and put ruts in it. I said, well, how do you know they're from our church? I mean, how do you, you see a car, they do that, you call the church? How do you know they're from our church? Because they left a piece of literature in my mailbox as they drove off. I said, what did the literature say? Something about heaven. And I didn't know what to say. I said, did you read it? And they left one of their neighbors as well. I got a phone call during Halloween time. A fellow was upset. He said, somebody from your church put a track about heaven in, in the bag of one of my children. And I said, how do you know? They said, because it had your church name on it. And I said, I don't know what to do. I said, we tell our people they ought to be giving the gospel out. And I thought maybe he was telling me that I ought to tell the church, congratulations, you're doing a great job. And I said, I will be sure to tell the church member that did that if I find out, great job, that you're happy that we're giving the gospel out. And that wasn't what he was calling about. Listen, we, what are you doing? This week, we're going to be at a fair. We're going to be giving the gospel of Jesus Christ out. And there may be someone that we come in contact with this week that we would never come in contact any other way. There are people that you work with that we may never, another Christian may never come in contact with. Your neighbor may never have another Christian that lives next door to him. The person at the gas station, I was in Columbus, Ohio one time and, and uh, uh, went into the gas station and gave the fellow a gospel track and he had just been in this country a few months. I said, do you know who Jesus is? And he said, I don't know. I said, do you, have you ever, do you know what the Bible is? He said, I don't know. He was from a different country and he came to this country and had been here for several months and not one person in several months had shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him yet. I began to share the gospel with him and he said, I've never heard this before. What are you willing to do to get someone to Jesus? You see, these people have seen what Jesus has done in their town before. They knew, they knew what he could do. They knew the miracles that he had done. They knew the disciples like John and Andrew and Matthew. They knew what lives had been changed. They know the effect of these people because they saw them, what they used to be. And they know now what they are. And they know the difference is Jesus Christ. Listen, what we used to be and what we are now ought to give us a reason to tell somebody else who Jesus is. And so we find here, they come to a place, they come to this roof. Imagine being crammed inside this house and suddenly seeing someone's coming through the roof. After this man's friends lowered him 
through this roof, Jesus performed a miracle. And, and I want you to see here, just quickly, I want to give you four things here as I see this passage of Scripture. Number one, in verse number one and verse number two, and again, he entered in Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there were no room to receive them, no, not as much about the door as he preached. And look what the Bible says there. He preached the word unto them. I want you to see here, number one is this, the crowd needed preaching. The crowd needed preaching. You don't find that Jesus here was doing miracles. Oftentimes you would find where Jesus, they came to Jesus and he was doing miracles. You don't find that the draw here was that Jesus was doing miracles. You find here that the draw was Jesus Christ was preaching the word. He was preaching what they had never heard before. He was preaching repentance of their sins. He was preaching the kingdom of heaven. He was preaching what they needed. The answer to all their problems wasn't the fact that they were sick and they needed to be healed. The answer was Jesus and the gospel message. And you find Jesus preaching the gospel message here. Listen, what this world needs is preaching. And that's not just from the preacher. I have news for you this evening. Even though I'm the pastor, I'm not the only one that is supposed to be preaching the word of God. Each and every Christian is to be a gospel witness. Each and every one of you, as you leave this place, you come to the house of God to be refreshed, to be revived, to be encouraged so that you could go out into a lost and dying world and tell the world that Jesus Christ saves, that Jesus Christ is the answer, that Jesus Christ gives hope that Jesus Christ gives eternal life. The job of every single Christian is to be a preacher. Every Christian. And what we find here is the, the crowd needed preaching. And Jesus gave them what was needed most. He preached the word unto them. The Bible says this in John 3, 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He is here preaching the message of salvation to a lost and dying world. Jesus was liberating and he was transforming. I'm sure as he was preaching, he was pointing out sin. And listen to me, we ought to preach about sin. And we ought to preach that every single person is a sinner. We ought to preach hard when the Bible says it's sin, that we ought to call it sin. We ought to preach that sin is a transgression against God. But we ought to also preach this, that Jesus Christ is seeking and saving those that are lost. He desires to save you from your sin. Pointed out forgiveness of sin by grace through faith. I see here the crowd, the crowd needed preaching. In John chapter one, we find this, the beginning was the word, Jesus Christ was preaching himself. He was preaching that he is the word become flesh and he is the answer to the world's needs. But you know, whatever the sermon was, we don't find the topic of the sermon. We were to study the Sermon on the Mount, we could find exactly what Jesus preached. Here in this passage of scripture, we don't know what he preached. We know this, that the message was a message of hope in the person of Jesus Christ. We know that to be the truth. I want you to see secondly this this evening in verses three through five. Not only was the crowd needed preaching, the committed needed power. I want you to see in verse number three this evening, and they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, 
And when they uh, would, uh, could not come nigh unto him for the priest, uh, the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had uh, broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I want you to see this in verse number three, Mark, he introduces a group of five men. One of these five was afflicted with this palsy. The word there would be translated as, as uh, paralyzed. And, and so we find this, that these four men, they were healthy enough to take this paralyzed men up the side of this house onto this roof and begin to tear this roof off and begin to lower this man down. We find this picture of commitment. We find this picture of compassion. We find that these four had a need. They had a friend that needed Jesus and they had compassion and they were committed to do anything they could to get him to Jesus Christ. They know the answer is Jesus. I believe this evening, these four friends, they have a lot to teach us. These four men were diligent. These four men were selfless. These four men cared about others. I believe we could learn something about these men tonight. They refused to let the roadblock of this crowd prevent them from bringing their friend to Jesus Christ. They didn't say, you know what, there's an obstacle here. Sorry about your luck. Sorry, we tried. Sorry, we got you here. No, what they said was this. We have got to be diligent. We have got to be selfless. This is going to take a little bit more effort than we thought. This is going to take a little bit more work than we thought. This is going to take a little bit more time than we thought. This is going to take a little bit more resources than we thought. We're going to have to give a little bit more. We're going to have to go a little bit further. We're going to have to do what we've never done before, but we've got to do this because my friend needs Jesus. Oh, my friend, I believe we can learn from this group of people. They pressed on in faith. They believed that if they could get to this roof, they could get down in front of Jesus. And if they could get in front of Jesus, their friend would be healed. This required faith. This required them working together. I believe this. A church that has faith and has a desire to work together in that faith, God can do incredible things. Imagine what God could do with a group of people that believed that he could do it and that were willing to do something together to see it done. Oh, there wasn't some that sat back and one of those four that said, I don't think we could do this. I think that's a bad idea. I think that we ought to do something different. No, they said, you know what? This has never been done. As far as we know, they've never taken a roof off and put one of their friends in front of Jesus. But we know this, they did it that day because they desired to, by faith, work together to see their friend reached with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They knew if I could get my friend in front of Jesus, Jesus could make the difference. And they said, said, we're going to do it together. Could you imagine what God could do with a church that said, we're going to work together to see God work? We're going to get behind things like the fair. 
We're going to get behind things like Reformers Unanimous. We're going to get behind things like, like uh, uh, a grief share. We're going to get behind things like uh, uh, Bod for God. We're going to get behind the youth ministry. We're going to get behind the children's ministry. We're going to get behind the visitation program. We're going to get behind the gospel. We're going to get behind going out on Saturdays and preaching the gospel and feeding the, the, the hungry and clothing the naked. We're going to get behind this endeavor as a church family. We're going to minister to people because we want to see people come to Jesus Christ. Church, the alternative would be this. We complain that Toledo is heroin highway. Or I say we as a church do something about it by faith. We complain that Toledo is one of the biggest sex trafficking cities in America. Or we get behind and do something by faith together. We complain that 50 some million babies are aborted in this country. Or we get behind and we do something about it. We complain about the sin. We complain about alcohol. We complain about addictions. Or I say, we by faith get together and say, we're together, united to bring people to Jesus Christ. No matter what the cost, no matter what the burden, no matter what the price, we are going to bring people to Jesus Christ no matter what it takes. See, the committed needed power. Their faith and action caught his attention. Jesus saw their faith. He healed this man because of their faith. Sometimes we use that expression, keep the faith. But I believe this, we ought to also live the faith. James 2.26 says this, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Thirdly, I want you to see this. In verse number six, the Bible says, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They didn't understand. Why did this man thus speak blasphemous? Who can forgive sins but God only? Here they just saw a man healed. And they're upset because Jesus forgave them their sin. Thirdly, I want you to see this, the confused they needed particulars. They needed help. Many in the crowd watching this exchange, they had to be confused. If someone here opened up this ceiling and they were paralyzed and you knew them, a small town of 1,500 people, they knew everybody. They knew everyone because it, was, it got around pretty quick that Jesus was there and they didn't use any other resource other than word of mouth. Everyone knew Jesus is in town. I'm sure everyone knew who this paralyzed man was. I'm sure everyone knew who these four men were. I'm sure they saw him sitting on the side of the road. I'm sure they saw him in the parks. I'm sure they knew exactly where they lived. I'm sure they knew his family. I'm sure they knew his friends. They knew this man was paralyzed. They knew this was not a hoax. They knew this was not a joke. And he comes down through that ceiling and Jesus forgives him of his sins and says, your faith has made you whole. And he gets up and he walks away and they scratch their head and say, who is this man? I'll tell you, if I was there, I think I would have said, whatever he has to say, I'm gonna listen to. The confused, 
the reasoning in their, in their hearts. Matthew chapter number, uh, or Mark 2, 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there in their reasoning in their hearts. Jesus knew what they were wondering. And, 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 and they were right, but they missed the whole point. Jesus was showing them that he is God. He was proving the deity of himself. The only one that can forgive sins is God. And Jesus is showing them, I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a prophet. I'm God, and I'm your answer. He's confused. Jesus had testified the truth that he was God. He healed this man. And by healing this man, he showed the crowd that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins. And lastly, I want you to see this in verse number 12. And immediately he arose and took up a bed and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw it on this fashion. The text closes with this man who had previously been paralyzed. This man who had not walked before. In verse number 12, the end of our text, it closes with this man picking up his bed and walking. Imagine that. Just moments earlier, this man saw nothing but limitations. But through Christ, this man found potential for life. This man had every excuse before he met Jesus, all his limitations. I can't even get off this bed. And, th and fourthly, I want you to see this crippled man. He needed potential, and Jesus Christ gave him that potential. He had all the excuses in the world, and they were legit excuses. He's paralyzed. What could he do? But he found Jesus, and Jesus, through him, showed him that there's potential for life and that he could now serve as a witness. He could now go and give compassion to others. He could now go and tell others what Jesus Christ had done for him. In Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Listen to me this evening. As this man walked, people had no choice but to stand in awe. They saw this man. They'd never seen anything like this before. It wasn't the fact that somebody tore the roof down and they brought this man down from this roof. It said, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. Take up thy bed and walk. And this man, he did what Jesus said. Jesus forgave him his sin and healed this man. In Acts 2.21, the Bible says this, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, when Jesus sees a paralyzed life, a life paralyzed by sin. We don't have to wonder, can he save him? This week, as we're at the fair and we see people walking by, we don't have to wonder, is, is that person able to be saved? The Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They just need a preacher. They just need someone that's willing to, by faith, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and see the mighty power
power of God work. Christian, could you imagine being saved? From the time you were saved to the time you died and never sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with a soul. Never seeing firsthand what God can do with the power of the cross. Oh, I want to challenge you this evening, church. If we, by faith, could decide that we were going to work together to do the unthinkable, to see God work, so that God could take and save a soul, the soul that we think there's no hope, we think there's limitations, God saves that person, and then God uses that person to show others that there's hope. The Bible says they stood in awe of what Jesus did to this man. 